This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, straight from the source, Israel's war against Hamas enters a new phase as Israeli troops are now amassing along the Gaza border. This, as Hamas is still holding as many as 150 hostages, several now confirmed to be Americans. A former U.S. hostage negotiator will join me live. And there may have been a vote, but tonight there is still no House Speaker. Steve Scalise, nominated by House Republicans to take the gavel, but it's unclear if he can actually get the votes to do so. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Good evening. This is a special edition of The Source. We are tracking two fast-moving stories on location tonight. I'm Caitlin Collins in Washington. My colleague Anderson Cooper is in Ashdod, Israel, where tonight 300,000 troops are amassing along the Gaza border as Israel has continued to bombard Gaza with airstrikes today and disturbing new details of Hamas's atrocities continue to emerge. President Biden says that the terror group's attack marks the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. And he reacted to reports of one of the more horrific details that we have heard. It matters that Americans see what's happening. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this a long time. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. Now, I should note the White House says that he was referencing public reports, but it is still hard to even hear those words from the U.S. president. In Gaza tonight, a humanitarian crisis is unfolding before our eyes. At least 1,100 people in the territory, in the Palestinian territory, have been killed and all power has been shut off. Talks are underway, we are told by officials, to set up a corridor so that Gaza civilians could get out. But that's an incredibly difficult undertaking, and it's not clear where it will end up. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is also on his way to Israel tonight with the nation's chief hostage, hostage negotiator in tow. Right now, it is believed that up to 150 hostages are still being held by Hamas in Gaza. The death toll in Israel has risen to more than 1,200 people, and the number of Americans killed now stands at 22. Among them, two brothers who worked security for their village, Amit and Eagle Walks, who moved to Israel from America to take care of their mom who has cancer. Deborah Matthias, a mom who was killed shielding her son from the bullets. And 34-year-old Danielle Ben Sr. She was one of the event organizers at the music festival that turned from a night that was supposed to be of revelry into a scene of carnage. I want to get right to Anderson Cooper, who is in Ashdod. Anderson, I mean, those are just a few of the faces and the names of the 22 Americans that we know have been killed in this attack. I mean, you've been there. You're reporting from this country that has been consumed by grief. How is that impacting what you're seeing on the ground? You know, I think this terror attack was such a surprise on early Saturday morning, and it has taken days for 
you know, people are still gathering information. We're still hearing news stories about what happened at near Oz, a kibbutz, or or Kafir Azab, which we've heard about since yesterday. So we're still learning about kind of the full scale and scope of this, and it's still going to take, you know, weeks before the full picture is clear. But the the level of shock is felt everywhere. There's not anybody here who does not know somebody who has not been killed or kidnapped. Or, or wounded, or had a member of their family killed or kidnapped or wounded. And, and uh, you know, there is shock and, and grief, and it is turning into anger and to resolve. And I think we're seeing that in the buildup of Israeli troops. Um, we're seeing that in the decision by, uh, you know, there's now a, uh, uh, the opposition party leader uh, has now joined into a cabinet with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, that is a likely step, uh, a likely important step before any kind of ground invasion is is launched. Yeah, I mean, it, it just underscores the level of at least crisis that the Israeli government feels. I mean, the idea that, that Netanyahu and Benny Gantz would, would do that is surprising to anyone who pays attention. But uh, also, as we are seeing what is happening with those forces, I mean, the buildup of Israeli troops along the border, Hamas is still firing missiles into Israel from Gaza. What's the latest on the fighting that you've heard, Anderson? Uh, look, there, there's still this back and forth. I mean, there are still rockets coming in uh, in from Gaza. Uh, as you know, those are often coming from uh, residential civilian areas. Gaza's, you know, the limited amount of space uh, reported from Gaza City. And you see rockets suddenly taking off from uh, a downtown street. Um, then people get into tunnels and, and move locations. So uh, it's very easy, very difficult to, to stop that, those mobile sites. Um, and obviously, Israel has been pounding uh, Gaza with uh, all for, for days now, uh, and there has been this buildup of troops. So I think the anticipation is now that there is this, you know, unity government, as they're saying, or unity cabinet, um, that is one more step to sort of open up the, the capabilities to have a, a, a ground a, a assault. Nobody, though, is is naive about what the reality of that will be, both from the potential for loss of civilian life in Gaza. Um, civilians has nowhere to go. And as you mentioned, there have been talks about possibly opening up some sort of a humanitarian corridor to Egypt. In past, the Egyptian authorities have not wanted to have an open border with large numbers of, of Gazan residents coming and staying in, uh, in Sinai in, in, in Egypt. Um, so they will have to get on board with that, and it remains to be seen if, if that will even happen. But it is, nobody is naive about what a, a ground assault into Gaza would look like and the, the, the death toll that could occur from that. Yeah, two million citizens in an area of twice the size of Washington. Anderson, thank you for that. Of course, what has been happening in Israel and Gaza presents several pressing issues for the Biden administration. First among them is how to help rescue hostages, including Americans that are being held by Hamas. There's also the intelligence failure, not just among Israeli intelligence, but also U.S. intelligence agencies among the best in the world who both say they did not see this coming. The push to normalize relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which would have been a huge breakthrough that reshaped the Middle East, now in jeopardy tonight. Joining me now is someone who has been deeply involved in all of these issues, Ambassador Robert O'Brien, who served as the U.S. Special Envoy, Special Envoy for Hostage Affairs, and was also the National Security Advisor for former President Trump. Ambassador, 
thank you for being here tonight. And given your experience uh, negotiating for hostages, I mean, you've been in these situations. Obviously, this is even more complicated because there is this active war underway. How does the U.S. get these hostages home? Well, it's a large number of hostages, American hostages alone. And then you add the Israelis to it, it's a very complicated situation. I, I was very pleased to see that Secretary Blinken is going to Jerusalem, to Israel's capital. And then he's got Ambassador Carson's in tow with him, the current Spiha. Uh, Ambassador Carson's a career military officer. I worked with him when I was national security advisor. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's competent and a very good negotiator. He thinks outside the box. So I'm glad we're seeing that diplomatic, diplomatic track being undertaken and, and doing it forward in Jerusalem, not just from Washington. That, that, that's important. But we also have to look at other tools. And, and th those tools are uh, moving our hostage extraction and rescue elements forward. Just like we're moving our diplomats forward, we need to move our, our specialized uh, soldiers and sailors for, forward to, to execute a rescue in the event that the, the opportunity arises with the intelligence. And then we need to look at how we're going to deal with the regional uh, powers and, and the message we're going to send to Iran, which has almost total control over Hamas, and, and what we tell Iran about you know, the, their obligations to make sure those Americans stay safe. But what is, if, they, if there was some kind of extraction, I mean, what would that even look like, given the fact that obviously... Israel is striking Gaza right now with airstrikes. I mean, what we are told is that these hostages, U.S. intelligence believes is not all, they're not all together, they're in tunnels, they're separated. I mean, that's an incredibly complicated process. Yeah, we would probably never face something this complicated in, in terms of a hostage rescue. And, uh, and you can imagine the, the pain and agony that the hostage families are going through as they, they think about their loved ones being in cages potentially being tortured, potentially being subject to execution. But, you know, we've got to be prepared for opportunities when they arise. We may not be able to get all the hostages in one swoop, but as the Israelis move into to the Gaza, which is likely to happen, uh, we're going to have the opportunity potentially to, to extract hostages once we get some control over the ground with our Israeli partners. So we've got to be ready to go, but you're absolutely right, Caitlin. It's an incredibly complicated military equation. If they were going to embark on something like that, which, I mean, what we've heard from officials, defense officials, it seems far-fetched at this point. I mean, they would need to rely on intelligence. And I think there are obviously yeah. serious questions now being raised about what Israel knows about what's happening inside of Gaza. So how would that, how would that happen? Yeah, I, and I'm not suggesting that there's the, the ability to launch a rescue at this time. My, my point is we need to be opportunistic. We need to be prepared if an opportunity arises. I think right now the focus is on Secretary Blinken and Ambassador Carson's diplomacy. And, and there are diplomatic levers that we can use with the Iranians, with the Qataris, with potentially with our Turkish partners and NATO ally. And so you know, that's going to be the focus. But we, we need to be equally prepared that if a military option does arise, especially in the, the chaos and fog of uh, an Israeli incursion into Gaza, we need to be prepared to get those Americans out. You obviously used to be in daily intelligence briefings as the national security advisor. We heard from your successor, Jake Sullivan, who said the U.S. did not see anything that suggested an attack of this type was going to unfold any more than the Israelis did. How did Israeli and U.S. intelligence miss this, do you think? Well, look, we suffered our own intelligence failure after 9-11 uh, 20 years ago, so we, we, we know what it's like. But I think what happened here is we become a little bit complacent, both the United States and Israel. We rely so much on electronic intelligence, signal intelligence, reconnaissance with our satellites, uh, and those are exquisite capabilities. But I think what happened here is the, the, the Hamas and, and their terrorist sponsors in Tehran 
used old school methods. They used runners and messengers. They did in-person meetings and didn't get on the telephone. They met outside of Israel in the region. And the Wall Street Journal reports in Lebanon, potentially in Tehran and other locales. So they, you know, our, our adversaries know our capabilities. And, they, and in this case, it looks like they, they took advantage of our reliance on technical means and maybe a lack of human intelligence and used old school techniques that maybe they learned from the mafia movies. If the FBI has a wire, speaking code and, and, and meet outside the Italian restaurant uh, and, 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 and avoid getting caught. And, and I think they, they use those sorts of uh, very, very old school methods that we've seen in criminal organizations use in the past. Yeah, and I should note CNN has not confirmed that Wall Street Journal reporting. We've heard some, at least senior Iranian officials, were surprised by this. Of course, still a lot of questions there, given they have funded Hamas for so long. Given you were in the Trump administration when the Abraham Accords were signed, and there was such hope for what that could mean for the region, certainly from Trump officials, and then just three weeks ago, I spoke to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu about the idea of Israel normalizing relations with Saudi Arabia. That seems more unlikely now. I mean, do you believe that that deal is likely off the table at this point? I'm not sure it's off the table. I think we're going to have a, an extended period of Israeli reaction militarily to this invasion of their country and the, the horrific killing that we saw. I mean, this, you know, this is barbarism. This wasn't war. I mean, killing babies and beheading babies and children. It's something we haven't seen even from ISIS. I mean, this is, this is bad. And so there's going to be a military response. But I think in due time, the diplomatic initiatives will take place. And look, I, I applauded the Biden administration. I was glad to see Jake Sullivan, my successor, go to Riyadh and go to, to Jerusalem. And, and obviously bringing Saudi Arabia into the Abraham Accords would, would strengthen the accords and, and strengthen peace in the Middle East. So I think it's a worthy uh, goal. I think we should continue it. Uh, but th there's probably going to be a, a, I don't think it's off the table, Caitlin, but I think there's going to be a pause. A pause. Former Ambassador, Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Still ahead, new CNN reporting, an Israeli official saying that Iran effectively gave the green light for this Hamas attack, but initial U.S. intelligence suggesting that it caught Iran by surprise, as I was mentioning. Plus, here on Capitol Hill, Steve Scalise was picked by House Republicans to be their nominee for speaker. But right now, based on our reporting, he still needs a lot more support to actually win the gavel. The latest next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll get back to the ground, on the ground in Israel in just a moment. But here on Capitol Hill, the House of Representatives still paralyzed by basic arithmetic and infighting tonight. 
Congressman Steve Scalise won his party's nomination in a closed-door meeting today. Majority of Republicans in the House, 113 of them, voting for him over Congressman Jim Jordan. But here's the problem. Scalise needs 217 votes. And as we speak, in the building behind me and across this town here in Washington, Republicans are still trying to find a way to get him that additional yes, those additional yes votes that it would take for Congress to elect a House Speaker and to get back to work. One of those Republicans that they are working to convince is here with me now, Colorado Congressman Ken Buck. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, can Steve Scalise get to 217 votes in your view? I, I think it's going to be very tough uh, for him to get there. I, I just want to say Steve is a great guy, very honest, very hardworking, uh, obviously has some health issues, but uh, he is uh, a, a really good candidate for Republicans to try to unify the party. Um, very difficult right now, given the politics going on behind the scenes. And what you're referencing there, of course, for our viewers who don't know, is he has blood cancer. He's been dealing uh, with the treatment for that. You just met with him a few moments ago as he is trying to get those additional votes. Did you ask him for anything? How did that conversation go? I, I thought the conversation went well. I'm, I'm very concerned about Ukraine and Israel at this point. Obviously, Russia is involved uh, in the Ukraine war and Russia is involved in supplying uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, Iran also supplying uh, Iran is supplying Russia with drones. Mm -hmm. uh, those countries are linked, and we need to make sure that we are uh, aggressive in how we deal with all of those countries, not just focus on one particular area. And so that's, that was my message to Steve, and I thought it was well received. Did he make any commitments on bringing funding for not just Israel, but also for Ukraine? He did not, bring, he did not make a commitment uh, to me, but I think um, if the administration makes a strong case, I think Steve Scalise will be on board for that kind of uh, commitment. Are you still a holdout right now? Have you made up your mind on who you would vote for? I am, I am not going to uh, be uh, the last vote against Steve uh, Scalise. I'm not ready to support right now because I want to get a few more But answers. if he was at 216, you would vote for him? I would, I would vote for him. Okay, that's good to know. One thing that you had struggled with when it was Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise going into that meeting today is you said you had asked both of them who won the election and that neither of them would say that President Biden did. Right, the 2020 presidential election. Um, and neither of them uh, would say it before, and I don't think either of them is going to say it now. Still, Steve Scalise was not prepared to say it. Uh, Steve Scalise feels very strongly that some of the Secretary of State's didn't act appropriately, and, and he is unsure about who the winner is. But you would still feel comfortable voting for him? Uh, you know, what are the choices, Caitlin? That's really the bottom line. We've got some very serious problems around the world, and I think we need to find ways to move forward. Um, I, I, it's not an ideal situation. Kevin McCarthy wasn't an ideal situation. Kevin led the effort to decertify the electors uh, in 2021 on January 6th. So uh, it is, it is a, one of those issues where you just have to do the best you can. To get that aid to Israel passed that you were just mentioning, I mean, you've got to get a House Speaker first. How long do you think it could take before Republicans reach an actual consensus to elect somebody? I, I hope yesterday. I really do. I think it's important that we act quickly. I don't see that happening. I think there's going to be uh, some issues to, uh, towards the end of the week, and hopefully we, we really get, get, uh, get our act together. Do you think it could be as soon as tomorrow or no? I don't think anything's You don't think it'll tomorrow. happen this week? I, I don't know. By the end of the week, maybe. Um, it may drag into the weekend. Okay. Congressman Ken Buck, thank you for your time tonight. And keep us updated, of course, on, on what that race looks like. Thank you. Still a no, but if you get to 216, you said you'd vote for Steve Scalise. We'll be back here in just a moment with the latest on-the-ground developments that are happening in Israel. As we mentioned, 300,000 reservists are amassing on the border with Gaza. But the U.S. and Israel, their venerated intelligence arms, are still sorting through how this could have happened without their knowing. New reporting suggests that the Iranians, at least some of them, were surprised.
Ashdod is about where we are tonight. It's about 19 miles from the border uh, with, with Gaza. And over the last couple of nights from here, all throughout the programs, we've been able to hear the, the impacts of, of shells being fired into Gaza uh, from Israel. The last hour or so that we've been here, it's been actually quite quiet. We haven't heard any uh, of that across Israel tonight. Community after community, tanks are mobilizing. Uh, troops are mobilizing in preparation for uh, Israel's uh, continued response. For the Israeli reserve is called up in historic numbers. They say any ground operation in Gaza will be different this time. Every person in Israel has lost someone. Every person. In Amsterdam till, till Wednesday morning, uh, till uh, uh, Monday morning I came here, you know, to enlist to the army and to fight those bastards. I've been in all the campaigns in the last 30 years. Never, never something like this. Um, there, there remains the looming question of what role Iran played in all of this. Multiple sources uh, tell CNN that the U.S. has specific intelligence that suggests senior officials in the Ayatollah's regime or some senior officials were caught by surprise. We have seen no uh, evidence in the intelligence that they were witting uh, of it, uh, you know, pre-aware, pre uh, uh, or were involved in any of the planning, resourcing, or even directing uh, of the operation. I want to bring in CNN's Matthew Chance. Matthew, you, uh, the, the, certainly the Biden administration's position is that, or what their public statements are, that, that Iran bears broad responsibility uh, for their support of Hamas and Islamic Jihad and, and, and others. Um, you spoke to an Israeli official. What was their perspective? Well, well Anderson, they, they agree with that assessment, of course. It's not really disputed that Iran provides um, political support, financing, training for Hamas militants um, inside of the Gaza Strip. And so th that's where the the, the two intelligence assessments from the United States and from Israel definitely overlap. There's a, there's a bit of a gap between them, though, when it comes to the, the knowledge of Iran, the involvement of Iran in this particular operation, which, which of course, led to the death of, of, so, many, of so many Israelis. Um, what the Israeli, senior Israeli official that I spoke to earlier today uh, told me is that he thought and he believed as a result of the Israeli intelligence that he'd looked at, that uh, uh, Iran had effectively given the green light uh, to this operation. Now, he was saying that, to, to clarify, he didn't believe that Iran um, knew about the timing of this or understood what the impact would be, but they knew that there was an operation like this in the planning before the, the operation went, went ahead. And so, and so in that sense, it was in on it and didn't do anything to to stop it. So it's not necessarily a contradiction uh, for, of US intelligence, uh, but it's, you know, it, it doesn't give Iran the benefit in the of the doubt in the way that you could see the, the Americans are, are, are doing, um, you know. And so, you know, and, and remember, it's, it's, it's in Israel's political interest. They've been uh, trying for years to rally support uh, uh, behind the idea that 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 uh, that Iran should, you know, be be punished for its um, its um, interaction with Hamas, its support of Hamas, and I think this is probably another iteration of that. What, what are you hearing from Israeli sources about what comes next in Gaza? 
Well, I mean, look, the, the Israelis have been pretty clear at this point that they're going to take action on the ground in Gaza. Uh, they haven't given an exact time frame for that, but, you know, we've all seen the massive buildup of Israeli forces um, on the border with Gaza. Uh, 360 reservists have been called up uh, and have been deployed around the country or in the process uh, of that. But look, I mean, no, no one's under the impression this is going to be an easy military operation. It's going to be a very tough one. Um, and of a different order of magnitude than we've seen before in Gaza, um, not least because of the, you know, the, the density of the city in terms of its population, the network of tunnels that run underneath it. And the other complicating factor, of course, is that there are those hostages, 150 or so hostages uh, inside the Gaza Strip as well. And that's got to complicate any kind of plan for a military operation, Anderson. Yeah, Matthew Chance, thanks so much uh, tonight from Tel Aviv. Up next, another story of survival. A young woman who was at the Israeli Music Festival where more than 260 people were killed, according to Israeli authorities. She was shot at, shot at, ran away barefoot, hid for nine hours. We'll talk to her next. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Agnello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Tonight, new details are starting to emerge from survivors of that Nova Music Festival where Hamas slaughtered at least 260 people so far. As they ran for their lives, some of them had to resort to the most desperate measures to find safety, including hiding under dead bodies. Here's what one survivor told my colleague Jake Tapper earlier today. As we got into the uh, bomb shelter, there was about 35 and 40 people who entered. When we got rescued seven hours later, only nine to 10 survived. Everyone that came into that bomb shelter, I saw get murdered in front of my eyes. I saw guts, I had flesh all over my body. We had to bury ourselves under these dead corpse to protect ourselves from these, from these grenades that we're hitting and from the rifles and the RPG. Hours before they were rescued, hiding under the bodies of friends and fellow concert goers, it was a massacre. There is no other way to put it. It was a massacre. Tonight, I am joined by another survivor who also hid for hours while surrounded by Hamas. Shani Ohana joins me now. And Shani, let me just first say I'm so grateful that you're okay and, and that you're willing to come on and talk about something because these accounts of you and others who were there are just, they're difficult to even hear, much less even imagine that you lived through it. Can, can you just start by walking me through what happened? Okay, uh, first, thank you so much for your kind words and thank you for having me. Um, so me and my friend went to a party, just another party. Uh, the day before I worked at the same location at a different party. So we came to celebrate my friend's birthday and around 6.30, I remember just a few minutes before I took a picture of the sunrise because it was so, so beautiful. Um, the, the bombs started 
Um, at first, I didn't panic because bombs is something that unfortunately happens in our day-to-day life in Israel. So me and my friend just started walking back to our camp, taking our stuff, making sure everyone we came with was there. And then uh, the police told us to just leave everything and just run. The things are, you know, are bad. There were tons, tons, tons of bombs. So we got in our car and we started driving, uh, me and one friend. Uh, we came to like a blockage at the road. We saw from afar that there was military at first, we thought, but then we heard people turning their cars around, yelling at us to run because there's, there's shooting. So we turned the car around, starting to realize the the, the situation we're in, uh, texting my friends, telling me that there's shooting at the party, trying to call another friend, not picking up. We came to another uh, blockage. People told us to go around, that there's like shooting also on the other side. Um, we went by one of those bomb shelters where horrific thing, horrible things happened. Um, we wanted to stop, but we decided to keep driving. I called one of my friends to make sure they're safe. And he, I hear him running. He's telling me that they got ambushed and they started shooting at them, that he and my friends split up. And he started, that, it's, that he's running for like 15 minutes and he's not stopping. Uh, the call got disconnected. And then I started yelling at my friends who was driving. I got, pa- I, I got panicked. I told them just drive, just drive straight and, and don't stop. And then um, on the road, we were just like a few minutes before, we see, um, I'm sorry. We see on uh, each side, three trucks armed with um, Hamas terrorists with weapons started starting shooting at our car while we drive just straight in the middle of them by miracle not getting hit by any bullets. We're stopping, the car is stopping on the side of the ro- road. We go out, I go out without, without even my shoes on and we just start running into the, into the fields while they while they're shooting at us we hear the the bullets we can feel them around our legs and by god send miracle are not getting hit we started to go like um down this road hiding ducking and then um it started to we started to get like really far so we started to feel a little bit more safe and then I see on the other side, I see people hiding and I see, and I recognize them. It was, they were my friends. Wow. Again, a, a miracle from, from above. We go and hit, hit together inside of, uh, of the bushes. And for the next, I think between eight to nine hours, we just hear nonstop nine hours. shooting. Yes. We started hiding at eight. 8 a.m. and we got rescued at 5 5 p.m. So non-stop, and Shani, you, you're not, you, yes. 
this video that you took, I, I just, I want our viewers to see it because it, it's, you know, we're just talking about this. It's video that you took on your phone as you were hiding in the bushes for those nine hours. And I, I just want to be quiet for a moment because you can hear the rapid gunfire in, in the background of it. I mean, Shani, I can't even imagine what was going through your mind at that moment. Yes, yeah, so at first, I think the first hour, I couldn't even breathe. You know, it was so stress stressful because they were so closed, close at first. The video that I sent you, I took about like, I think four hours in. So we were hearing it nonstop. We would hear them walking around us, we could hear them talking, we could hear them laughing while they were shooting, we could hear the bombs. They were laughing? They were la laughing, always, always laughing, always shooting and laughing. Oh my God. You could hear them on their voices that they're having fun, that they're like, yes, we finally did this. Every car that passes by, we can hear the, the grenades and the shooting and uh, it was just, just, terrible i think after a few hours i just you know i started try to disconnect myself not think about anything i couldn't even touch my phone even if i did have a little bit of reception it was very very hard and and scary you know thinking that maybe it, we do we make one wrong sound and they hear us and it's it's the end were you worried that you weren't going to survive uh, yes, I, I was, there were a lot of points that I was worried that I'm not going to go back home, that that my friends won't go back home. I was just still trying to process all of it. You know, one minute I'm at the party having the best time of my life with all the people I love and enjoy. It's a big festival that's, that, that for like a, for a big community, you know, so it was, everyone there knew everybody. Um, so I was really excited and it was sunrise and it was beautiful. And then the next moment, something like this happens. I, I still can't really even process yeah. what, what is I happening. Mean, and to think that day started with you taking a picture of the sunrise. Shawnee, Shawnee Ohana, I'm so grateful that you're, that you're alive and that you're with your family and safe tonight. And of course, we're thinking of you and your friends and what you've gone through and for everyone, everyone that's been lost. Thank you, Shawnee. Thank you very much. And we'll be back in just a moment. Right now, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is making his way to Israel tonight. As the White House says, still 17 Americans remain unaccounted for. That is down from the 20 that they had estimated yesterday. They also said a very small number, they believe, a handful, in the words of one official, are believed to be hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza tonight. Joining me is Barack Ravid, an Axios foreign policy reporter who is deeply sourced in the region and has covered it for quite some time. Barack, I mean, we also saw this news today that is major if you're watching Israeli politics and Prime Minister Netanyahu forging this emergency government with the former defense minister. I mean, as someone who has covered this closely, how much does that indicate to you just what a crisis this is for the Israeli government? Uh, good evening, Caitlin. I think that uh, the unity government was announced today is really a testament to how uh, deep 
the crisis in Israel is because Benny Gantz and Benjamin Netanyahu are not only political rivals, they have so much bad blood uh, between them. And also Benny Gantz's uh, political situation right now is the best that he could ever dreamed of. Uh, in the last nine months, Netanyahu's favorability, as Netanyahu's favorability went down, Gantz's favorability went up. And if elections were held today, Gantz would be the prime minister. So for him to enter the government politically is, you know, I don't want to say political suicide, but it's not the best political move to join the government now and, you know, help Netanyahu. But I think this shows what, how deep the crisis is. If Benny Gantz feels that he has no other choice but to join the government uh, at this time and to be part of the decision-making at this uh, uh, really, really dark hour uh, in Israel's history. Yeah, it's certainly incredibly dark. And the other thing that we're watching, Barack, is Gaza is obviously a very densely populated place. It is twice the size of Washington, but it has over two million people who live there. And so obviously that's a concern if there is going to be this ground incursion that we keep hearing about. What are you hearing from your sources about civilians being able to get out of Gaza before and the innocent civilians who live there? So uh, first, uh, unfortunately, and uh, I'm saying that with a heavy heart, I, I don't think that uh, Palestinian civilians who live in Gaza will be able to, to leave anytime soon. Uh, the only negotiations that is uh, taking place right now between the U.S., Egypt, and Israel is about some sort of a safe passage, a safe corridor to uh, Egypt for uh, American citizens and uh, foreign nationals in Gaza. There are approximately 500 or 600 American citizens in Gaza. There are a few hundred uh, foreign nationals, you know, people who work in NGOs, journalists, uh, uh, UN workers. Uh, all of those people, the ones who would want to leave, might, might be able to do it. The negotiations, as far as I understand, are making progress. Uh, Israel and Egypt have given their you know, uh, consent in principle to, to establish such a safe passage, but the, the operational details are very complex. Uh, we have to understand it's impossible to get out of Gaza right now because all the border, border crossings uh, are closed. And if a ground operation would start, it would be even harder. So I think that everybody wants to do it as fast as possible before the ground operation starts. Yeah, and of course, the IDF hit the Rafa crossing in recent days. A lot of complex details to be worked out. Barack Ravid, great reporting. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. And here with me on Capitol Hill, David Axelrod, former advisor to President Obama, and Adam Kenzinger, who represented Illinois in Congress for 12 years. Both are CNN senior political commentators. Thank you both for being here, because obviously what is happening here on the Hill is tied to what is happening tonight in Israel. David, I mean, the chaos here has consequences because we have been hearing from John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesman, who said they're running out of runway on what they have when it comes to appropriations for funding for Israel and for Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. You know, you would think that this moment would bring some sobriety to this place and that the consequences would be obvious and that the political consequences of uh, continued chaos here would be obvious. But there are people in this Republican caucus who simply don't care. And I think that's dangerous for our country and it's dangerous 
for the world. And, and by the way, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when Adam Kinzinger was in Congress. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't this bad when I was there. Yeah. When did you leave? <laughs> January? Yeah. Uh, and uh, in those days, uh, when a caucus met and elected a leader, then the caucus would close ranks behind yeah. the leader, and that leader would become Speaker of the House. Those days are gone. People, uh, uh, people are going, and you know, we have nihilists in the, in the, in the Republican caucus, and uh, there's no end in sight here. I mean, you represented, you were, you worked in these halls. Yeah. What do you make of what happened today? I mean, it's sad. Like I, you know, because what you have is typically we had this. We would have people run for these leadership positions, and then again, as David mentioned, somebody would win, and then we'd all go out and we'd vote together because we have real work to do. What you're seeing is the terrorist caucus, the, the legislative terrorist caucus, is continuing to do what they did when they got rid of McCarthy. They're going to do it now to keep Steve Scalise from winning because Jim Jordan's behind all this. Jim Jordan still wants to be speaker even though he lost his vote. The sad thing is Ukraine is still occurring. We saw this incredible attack in Israel right now. You know, you still have Taiwan. You still have North Korea threatening South Korea. And we have these little fiefdoms that are getting in their little well, battles because they want to raise money. And, and let's not forget, we're five weeks away from a, a government shutdown. Right. Yeah, yeah, 37 yeah. days before the government runs out of yeah. money. And, of course, influencing all of this, Donald Trump actually endorsed Jim Jordan for speaker, something yeah. that he was advised against. He was speaking tonight, and he sought to tie his claims about the election to what is happening in Israel right now. This is what he said. And if the election wasn't rigged, there would be nobody even thinking about going into Israel. The election was rigged, very sadly rigged. Should I just say, Donald Trump was actually one of the weakest foreign policy presidents we've ever had. Now, he talks tough, and he'll say things like, this would never happen if I was president. Let's remember what he did with Vladimir Putin. Let's remember what he did when Vladimir Putin attacked eastern Ukraine again. He said this was brilliant after he was president. Let's keep in mind, Iran attacked Saudi oil fields. Donald Trump did nothing. Iran shot down one of our drones the size of an airliner costing $200 million. Donald Trump didn't react and did nothing. Donald Trump, Trump projected weakness, with the exception of killing Soleimani, which was big. But for him to say that all this is because he's not president is not only just wrong, it shows that he's a man that is totally incapable of rising to a moment when we would actually love to have a former president show support for the current president as we're trying to unify against the common enemy of America. And put politics aside, what do you say, David? Well, uh, Donald Trump, uh, you, when, when this, when this uh, catastrophe began, I th the thing you could be sure of was that it was only going to be a matter of seconds be before uh, uh, Trump would try and take political advantage of it and make grandiose uh, claims like that. That's as predictable as the sun coming up in the morning. And I think, you know, hopefully people will see it as such. Yeah. David Oxarod, Adam Kinzinger, thank you both for joining me yeah. here on The Hill. Be right back in a moment. We have breaking news right after this. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. 
Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.